couple weeks ago, we started a new series in the book of Malachi um, called First Things First. Because throughout this book, God is going to be challenging the Israelites and in turn us as God's people today to be putting the first things first in our lives. To making sure that, that he and, and the spiritual aspects that he's called us to are, are prime and front center in our everyday walk in life. And uh, today he's going to do that by talking to us about worship. And talking about how we worship the king together and what that looks like. And so we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14 this morning. Verses 6 through 14. So, I, just a week or two ago, I was reading some articles, and I saw this headline that said, Taylor Swift fans report post-concert amnesia. Has anybody else seen this or heard this? Um, so, here's what, this is all, just a little synopsis of the article. It says, you've paid hundreds of dollars for a ticket and braved the pouring rain to watch your favorite artist perform in what should be an unforgettable evening. But three hours and over 40 songs later, you get home and realize you can't remember a thing. It sounds almost unbelievable, but many Taylor Swift fans are claiming to suffer from post-concert amnesia. Doctors say that it is the result of the brain being so overly flooded with excitement and stimuli that it can't form memories in that moment. In other words, they are so enthralled... They are so excited about Taylor that in that moment, instead of passing out, they actually just kind of blank out and nothing is getting in. We've all had various experiences. Maybe it was a concert for you. Maybe it was something else where we felt like that, that overwhelming excitement or joy or love for someone. Maybe it was your wedding day or like, like you felt that experience that was so strong that it just kind of overwhelmed us and we we didn't know how to respond to that. But here's my question for you this morning. When was the last time that you felt that way about God? When was the last time that your pulse quickened and your heart pounded just because you were in the presence of the Almighty God in worship? Or... Has worship just become another activity that you do, like eating or going to work or exercising? It's just another thing in the weekly schedule that you check off. I fear that, especially for us who have maybe been doing Christianity for a while now, that worship of God too often becomes merely half-hearted and far less than what he actually deserves. How much more often do we get excited and overwhelmed and joyous about other things more than being in the presence of and worshiping God? Israel was struggling with that too, and so God's going to press on that today through these verses for us. And so the question before you this morning is this, is my worship worthy of my king? Is my worship Worthy of my king. So go ahead and look at verse 6 as we jump into chapter 1 this morning. It says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? 
says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have, you, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. First point this morning is worship the king with your best. Worship the king with your best. So he starts off here and he says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. He's just making a general statement there because that was, that was true in that day. That was universally accepted in this culture, in this time period. Like if you dishonored your father or master, like death could be on the table, right? Like this was just a, an accepted thing. that This is the way it worked. So nobody challenges that here. No one's going to dispute that fact. And then he follows up with, and he says, and I am the father of Israel. I am the master of Israel, which again, no one would have disputed. Israel knew that, all the other nations around them knew that Yahweh was their God, their master, their father. So do you feel him kind of like setting them up here? <laughs> kind of leading them to a question? And then he says, where is my honor? With an implied answer of nowhere, right? Absent, missing, MIA, that they were not honoring the Lord. In fact, he says, you're not honoring me, you despise my name in worship. The word despise there means to treat something as worthless, as if it has no value whatsoever. That's how they were treating God in the way that they were worshiping him, that he was worthless. Also, despise here in the Hebrew is actually called a participle, meaning that it's is talking about a continuous action or maybe even an attitude of their heart. So this wasn't like it was a, a one-off mistake or they just kind of had a bad day that day and they made a mistake. And they, you know, no, this was an ongoing issue for them. All right? This is something that was continually happening in their, it was a pattern of their life in worship and it flowed from the heart attitude that they had towards God. They didn't really value him for who he was. But to his accusation that you despise me, they respond once again, how? How how do we despise you, God? And so he explains, with polluted food upon my altar. Now, that doesn't really hit for us because we don't do altars like that anymore today, but he's talking here about the sacrifices, the offerings that they were supposed to bring to the temple in worship, right? That was the primary way that they worshiped God in that day was they to bring offerings to the temple and sacrifice these animals on the altar. But God says, you're polluting my altar because you're bringing animals that are blind and lame and sick to sacrifice to God. In other words, you're bringing me the rejects. Right? You're, you're bringing me the, the worthless ones of your flock, the ones that you can't do anything else with. You're like, oh, I don't know what to do with these. We'll just give those to God. Right? It's like he's getting the leftovers of their best. 
right? And so these offerings are not only unacceptable because they disobeyed God's law for temple worship. He gave them very specific instructions like this is how you sacrifice, this is the type of animals you bring. So not only were they disobeying what he had told them to do, but they were even bigger than that. They were a disgrace to God's name and to his glory. God even calls such worship here evil. Did you catch that? He said, is that not evil when you sacrifice animals? It's sinful the way that they're worshiping him. Because this type of worship lied about who God was. It portrayed him as as if he was of no more value and no more worth than these pitiful sacrifices that they were bringing to the altar. They were slanderous against him. They were giving a false testimony of God's glory and worth through this pitiful acts of worship. They were dishonoring the perfect one and showed that people, as a people, they did not truly love the Lord. If they loved him, they would give him their best in worship, not their worst. He goes on to make the point even further. He says, Try presenting that to your governor, right? Now, the governor for them was the earthly leader, right? It was the primary authority over their lives. It was their representation of the king. The king was off in some other part of the kingdom, and they never saw him. They never talked to him. The governor was the authority that they bowed to on the earth. And so oftentimes they would give him gifts. They would give him um, special things to request help from him or to gain his favor in some way, right? They were trying to to get him to to be uh, kind towards them. And so God says here, he's like, hey, try giving your worst animals to the governor and see if he will accept you. See if he will show you favor. No, of course not. In fact, that type of offering, that type of gift to the governor would be a worse insult than giving nothing at all. That kind of dishonor to the governor would get you thrown out for sure, maybe jailed, maybe even killed under certain circumstances. And God says, yet, you try to give the same gift to me and expect my favor on your life. If it's not good enough for a sinful, finite human governor, it's definitely not good enough for the perfect, eternal, all-powerful God that we worship. He's using here what we call in Scripture a lesser to greater argument, right? If it's not true for this lesser thing, it's definitely not true for the greater one that we worship. And he's exposing their hypocritical hearts. They say they love God. They say that they want to worship God, but they don't. Not really. Because they're just doing the bare minimum. They're just coming in and just checking the box. We did what we had to do. Now we can go on with our lives, but they don't honor God enough to give their best. This highlights a very important principle about worship that we need to understand because it still applies for us today. 
the value of the worship displays how much you value the one being worshipped. Say that again. The value of our worship that we give displays how much you value the one being worshipped. How much am I willing to give? How much am I willing to sacrifice? How much am I willing to put on the line to worship God? Displays how much I value him. How worthy I believe he really is in my life. And friends, our God is worthy of the very best. And nothing less. So I want to take a moment this morning to talk about something that I think is a very controversial and polarizing issue in many homes across America today, and that is leftovers. I don't know how this plays out in your house. I know like some houses are like really for them, some are against. It's this whole controversial thing. Like some of you will not touch leftovers. You're like, if, it, if it's not hot and fresh day of, throw it out. I don't want it probably traces back to something with your mom and making you eat some nasty jello with leftovers in it or whatever the thing was or the same thing like for five days. If you're in that camp, I'm just going to be loving to you this morning. Like, listen, get some help, all right? Forgive your parents. It's okay. Like, there's life beyond that. Other families are all about the leftovers. They'll make extra at each meal just so they have something for lunch the next day, have some stuff for the week, right? Like, I'm going to make this easy on myself later on. And they're all over the leftovers, Certain leftovers are gone the next day, right? Because everybody's like, those are fantastic. I'm having those again. Other ones, like, they're in there three weeks, and then you got to throw them out eventually, and nobody ate those things. And you're like, why did I even put these in here? Right. Definitely the king of leftovers is Thanksgiving. Hands down, right? Like that Thanksgiving night reheated turkey plate, mm, that hits different, right? That's hot right there. There's restaurant leftovers, a whole other category, right? Do we bring home from the restaurant? Do we, you know, do we save that? But here's what I do know about leftovers. If you had your favorite celebrity or the biggest guest of honor that you can think of coming over to your house for dinner, that night is not leftover night, Right? No, you're breaking out your best recipes, the good dishes, right, the decor, you're cleaning, you're prepping, you're doing your very best to honor that person because you are so excited that they are going to come to your house. And God is saying here, how much more should you seek to give your very best to honor and worship me? God's not a leftovers kind of guess. He gets the best. But so often, that's not what we give him. If we're honest, a lot of times we keep the best for ourselves or for other people in our life. And we give God leftovers. Now, to make this really practical and also probably offensive, I'm going to press this down a little bit harder this morning with some examples. And I want you just, just to process your own heart here. Like, I, I, I don't have any, I, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what, you're, what you do or what you don't do. Like, but the Holy Spirit does. 
And would you be humble enough this morning to let him maybe speak to you for a moment here about your worship? What about your time? Are you giving God the best of your time every day? Your best, most focused, most intentional time slot in the day, where does that go? Does he get that? Or does that go to work? Or does that go to exercise? Or does that go to TV? Or does that go to, to doom scrolling on social media? Like what, what are you giving your best time to each day? Because friends, if I can't find 30, at least 30 dedicated minutes to give to God each day, reading the word, prayer, just listening to what he has to say to me, if I can't give him, I'm not giving God the best of my time in worship. We spend our time on so many things. Is God getting the best? Or what about your giftings? Are you using your best talents, your best abilities to worship and serve the Lord? Or are you giving those your best to your boss or to your family or to yourself? Are you only using your talents to make a living and to put food on the table? Are you limiting the talents and gifts that you've been given to only during work hours and after that, I'm off, I'm not doing any of that anymore, I'm out? Or are you using them to serve the Lord? Are you using them to serve his people and his church? Are you helping care for widows and single moms? Are you loving and discipling children? Are you using your financial sense to help multiply resources for kingdom advancement? Are you going out and being on mission with lost people in your neighborhood? Are you using whatever gifts God has given you for him and for his purposes? If I am the primary one benefiting from the gifts that God has given me, then I am not giving the best of my talents in worship. I should not be the primary benefactor of the gifts and talents that God has given me. They should be going out for him. What about with your finances? Are you using the first and best portion of your wealth to worship God? Do you give the first 10% back to him? Before taxes, before retirement, before health care, before bills, before savings, before any of that, are you giving him the first and the best? Or do you wait till the end? After everything else is paid and see what's left and then just give him some of that? Just the leftovers. Are you saving your best finances for retirement or for a bigger house or a newer car or whatever the thing is that you're wanting to get next? Or are you giving them to the Lord as an act of worship because you truly believe there is nothing more valuable in this world that you can get than the presence of God? Again, if my primary concern with my money 
is how I'm going to meet my own worldly needs and desires, then I'm not giving the best of my wealth in worship to the Lord. Last one. What about your priorities? What about your priorities in the way that you build your life? Are you giving God his wor- and his worship top billing in your priorities? Is Sunday morning worship something that is non-negotiable or something you just fit in around other things like trips to the lake or sports or travel plans or whatever else you like to fill your weekend with? Is small group night a pillar of your week? And everything else has to move around that. Or is it the first thing to go when there's a conflict? Do you schedule and plan activities to make sure that you have enough gas left in the tank to get to corporate worship? Or do you run your margins so thin that oftentimes you don't get there. Don't have anything left. Are you willing to settle for a life without Sabbath and without worship to get everything else you want? It's about priorities and how we worship the Lord. If God is not of highest value, he will never receive my best in worship. It's about how I value him. So the question here before us, am I giving God the best of my life in worship? In any of those categories we just walked through, and there's others. But when I really do an assessment of my own heart, nobody else can do this for you. I can't do this for you. Your spouse can't do this. This is between you and the Lord. Like, am I giving God the best that I have of my life in worship? Or am I just using that for me or my family or my business? So that's the first thing he presses on here about our worship. Are we giving the best? Second thing, look at verse 10. He says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted And its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Second point, worship the king from your heart. Worship the king from your heart. It's so, it's so shocking in verse 10. He says, he says, shut the doors, right? This temple that we just came back, finally got back to Jerusalem, we rebuilt the temple, the whole thing, so we could worship God. He's like, you know what? Shut it up. Close the doors. No more worship. 
Today we would say, close the doors of the church. No more worship services here. Nothing else is going to happen. We're done with that. God's saying, just stop worshiping me altogether. Which is an extreme statement. Which shows us how serious God is about our worship of him. And what it should look like. He goes on, he says, shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. Vain here means um, useless or pointless. And the fire is representing, again, the, the altar where they would bring the animals, they would sacrifice the burnt offerings, and they would burn them on the altar. He's saying, stop, it's in vain, it's pointless, it's useless, because I have no pleasure in you. Man, what a just like cut to the heart. You see, the, the reason their worship is useless and in vain is because they're missing the whole purpose of worship. Friends, the whole purpose of our worship is not for us. It's to bring pleasure and glory to our God. We come and worship not for us, but for Him. And here he says, I have no pleasure in this, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. So now their worship not only is wrong, but it now becomes counterproductive. Not only is it failing to please God, it's actually making him angry. Because God hates worship that does not flow from a heart for him. If it's not coming from a pure heart, God's like, I want nothing to do with that. That does not please me one bit. And so if we're going to worship from the heart, we have to understand the biblical purposes of worship. And so I'm going to give you this real quickly, just two categories with a couple of examples. The first one is what we call vertical worship. And this is the primary thing that we focus on here at Harvest. We want to go after this because it gets overlooked the easiest. Vertical worship is about me worshiping the Lord. All right? comes in two ways. Number one, it's me praising his greatness and his glory Eyes up on him, not myself, not anyone else. Praising his greatness and his glory. And then in turn, receiving and getting to experience his goodness and his grace in my life. So it starts vertical. And then biblical worship also has a horizontal nature to it as well. Where we get to encourage one another in the faith. As we worship together corporately, we see one another, we encourage one another, we pray with one another. But again, it's still not about me. Even my horizontal worship is about other people in the family of faith. And then secondly, to testify of his glory to others. Did you know that worship is actually a witness? Like when people see you all out in heartfelt worship to the Lord... They are moved by that. They are drawn by that. They're like, wow, they're, that's kind of crazy, and I don't know if I want that, but it's definitely different than anything I've experienced. Maybe I need to check that out. See, worship is about the Lord, first and foremost. But empty, self-serving worship doesn't achieve any of that. It doesn't achieve any of those purposes. It's useless and repulsive to God because it slanders his name. He says it would be better not to worship him at all than to give fake worship 
to the Lord. He goes on, he says, for the, from, the, from the rising sun to its setting, uh, setting, my name will be great. That phrase, from the rising to the setting, is a phrase that's used all throughout the prophets to talk about the coming kingdom of God, pointing to the day when God's kingdom will reach all places and all peoples, and they won't, the sun will never set on God's kingdom. He says, among, my name will be great among the nations. In other words, fine. You can choose not to worship me if you want to. If you want to go give your worship and your best to somebody else and something else, that's fine. But it will be your loss because one day I will be worshipped all over the world by those who truly love me with their whole hearts. That's the kind of worship that God's looking for. He says they will offer incense and pure offerings Incense represents the rising of our worship and our devotion to God. We sing a song with that, right? That incense is that picture of our worship rising up to the Holy One. And he says pure offerings here mean that they come from a pure heart. What makes the offering pure is the heart that's giving it to the Lord. This worship will come from those who truly desire to worship God. Because they know that he's worthy. They know that he's glorious. Not because they've been commanded to. Not because they feel obligated or because they're trying to get something back from God. They worship from the heart. In contrast, he says to them once again, you profane my name. In other words, you treat it as common. That's what profane means. It means to treat it as common or insignificant or worthless even. And he calls out three ways specifically that they profane his name. One, he says, you despise my offerings. This points to a resentful spirit in them. Meaning, they're resisting worshiping God because they don't really believe he's worthy. They don't really want to do it. Because they don't think, in their spirits, in their heart, they don't believe that God's really worthy. And then he says, you're wearied by my worship, and you snort at it. Meaning they have a begrudging heart towards the Lord. They see worship as an obligation. They see it as transactional. Like, like a, a necessary evil that they have to do. Some religious ritual that has to be done, but they don't want to do it. They have a begrudging heart towards the Lord. And then lastly, he points to their evil offerings, ones that are taken by violence and lame and sick. He says this is from sinful motives, that their worship is actually coming from sinful motives because they give their worst to God so they can keep the best for themselves, for their own greed, for their own selfish desires. He says your worship is vain and profane because you don't really love me or glorify me from your heart. You're just going through the motions. How often are we just going through the motions? Um, <clears throat> all right, so full disclosure this morning. I probably shouldn't say this in front of everyone, but I hate fundraisers. 
Can I just say that out loud? Is, that, is, that safe, is this a safe place? Can I say that? Like, like especially school fundraisers? It's like every other week there's another thing we got to give money to, right? And I'm just like, what is up with all of the fundraisers? Well, we need a new playground. Really? There's a, there is a playground. What's wrong with the old playground? Well, it's, it's not new. Yeah, I don't care. They can play. They're good, right? Or we're supporting the, you know, like Save the Housefly Foundation, and we need you to donate. I'm like, I just killed one in my kitchen today. I'm not sending money to that. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, well, you know, it's for the children. Yeah, my children. I can decide if they need that or want that or if it's worthy. Like, I don't have to. Sorry. Come on, parents. I know I'm not alone on this, right? But you know what it is? You know what really makes me hate fundraisers so much? Certain fundraisers? Because I don't care about the cause. Whatever they're raising money for, I don't care. I don't care about it. They care about it. And sometimes I give because I care about them and they care about it. But it, I usually don't. And so I don't want to give to it. And so deep down inside, we don't want to do this. Right? We're wearied by all the fundraisers. We snort at them. We despise them because our heart doesn't value whatever it is. That's what God is saying about our worship. That it's vain and profane because we're doing it on the outside, but on the inside, we could really care less. And so God says, I don't want it. Not like that. I don't want that kind of worship only if it comes from a pure heart. Not out of obligation, not because you're trying to earn something or get something from me. So am I giving God worship from a pure heart? Am I giving God worship from a pure heart? That's question number two. Worship God, worship the king with the best, our best, worship from a pure heart. And then lastly, number three, look at verse 14. He says, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Worship the king because he is worthy. Here he talks about the cheat. The cheat is someone who vows to give God their best, their spotless male lamb, the best of their flock, if he will answer their prayer. And then when he does answer the prayer, when he does bless them, they don't give him the best, they give him the worst. Instead, they give him some blemished, worst animal in their flock because they're trying to cheat God. They're trying to steal from him what is his rightful due? And the cheat does this because in his heart, he counts himself more worthy than God. More deserving. He worships himself as king 
rather than the Lord. And so God says to that, he says, cursed be the cheat. The word cursed there means to be separated from God. To be expelled from God's presence and from God's family. Which is the worst possible outcome, right? It's worse than giving him no worship at all. Because you've tried to lie and cheat and steal from the almighty God. Because you did not count God worthy of your worship and devotion. But he is. He is worthy. He says here, he says, I am a great king. And not just any king. He says, I am a great king, the Lord of hosts. Did you catch that phrase throughout this section? He uses that title for himself seven times in nine verses. You think he's trying to make an emphasis here? Right? The Lord of hosts, the almighty God with infinite powers and legions of angel armies. There is no one greater than him. There is no one more worthy of our worship than the Lord of hosts. He is the king. He is the great king. He is the sovereign king. No one compares to him. And he says, therefore, my name will be feared among the nations. Friends, our God will be feared because he is a righteous and powerful judge who will punish all who reject him. He will be feared because he is perfect and holy and we desperately fall short of him every single day. And he will be feared because the only way to escape the curse that he just mentioned is to surrender to him and to his love. This is why the gospel is so important. Because every single one of us are sinners who have rebelled against God, and we are cursed. And the only way out, we cannot fix it, we cannot right our wrongs, the only way we get out from underneath that curse is by the love and grace of God who sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth to live a perfect and sinless life and then to go to the cross and die to take the curse that we deserved and he put it on his own son. And Jesus died in our place for our sin so that we could be rescued. And he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life, proving that he was God and saying, if you'll put your faith in me, if you'll turn away from your sin, repent of your sin, and put your faith in me, I will save you, I will cleanse you, I will remove the curse from you so that you can worship God from a pure heart. We reverently fear God because he alone can condemn us or save us. It's all in his hands. If we cheat him of his worship, we will suffer the curse of separation and punishment. But if we worship him, we will be blessed in his love and saved by his grace. But here's the thing, friends. Regardless of the outcome, regardless of which one you choose to curse or to worship, it will all happen either way because he is worthy. And he is on the throne. 
God is a great king and worthy of my worship. But that's not the question I asked you at the beginning. Was it? I didn't ask you if God was worthy. I said, is my worship worthy of my king? Am I giving my best to him who is the very best? The best of my time, the best of my service, the best of my wealth, the best of my priorities. Am I giving him the best? Am I worshiping him from a pure heart? A heart of love that values him above all else. Not out of obligation. Not out of religious ritual because you have to be here. Not out of transaction so you can get something, you can earn something from God. That's not the worship that he wants. Simply because he is worthy and I love him. The king is worthy of my worship. But is my worship worthy of my king? Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the truth of your word. That you the Lord of hosts, the Almighty One, the great and glorious King, still love us and desire for us to worship you. You reign on high for all of eternity. No name is higher than your name. And yet you call us to be your worshipers. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for half hearted worship. Forgive us for leftover offerings. You are worthy of so much more, more than we can ever give. Help us. Help us to bring worship to you, Lord, that is worthy of your great name. Because you are worthy. 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 You are worthy all of it. I pray all of this in Christ's name.